0: In the past year, ballpark, how many restaurants would you say that you have gotten a chance to try in D.C.?
1: Oh, my gosh. I can't even count, but it would be hundreds.
0: Welcome to the Trip Hacks D.C. podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Trip Hacks D.C. podcast. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. Today I am joined by Jessica Sidman, and we are going to talk all about food and restaurants in Washington, D.C. Jessica is the food editor for Washingtonian Magazine, where she covers the people and trends behind D.C.'s food and drink scene. Before joining Washingtonian, she was food editor and Young and Hungry columnist at the Washington City Paper. So, Jessica, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on. I'm so honored.
0: Well, I'm honored to have you here because this is a topic that I am woefully ignorant about. (laughs) I did a live stream on YouTube um, over the summer, and people asked me all kinds of questions about restaurants, and I just said, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't really eat at restaurants. (laughs) And I actually got two or three follow-up emails for people who have said, I can't believe it. You don't eat at restaurants? It seems like something that you do if you live in a big city. But I I just don't. But I know you do.
1: I eat at a lot of restaurants, so I can help you out here.
0: In the past year, ballpark, how many restaurants would you say that you have gotten a chance to try in D.C.?
1: Oh, my gosh. I can't even count, but it would be hundreds. (laughs) Um, You know, my job requires me to eat out – Fairly frequently, we do a big annual ranking of the 100 very best restaurants in Washington. Uh, so when we are working on that, I might be eating out six or seven nights a week, sometimes lunch and dinner, all sorts of different places from your mom and pop noodle joint to high-end tasting menus. I would say, though, on a more regular basis, maybe I'm eating out three to four times a week. But that's more than probably most people.
0: That's definitely more than me. And just to explain about what your job is exactly, I know I introduced you as the food editor. So that means that you're not a food critic. Is that right?
1: So I usually don't describe myself as a restaurant critic. More often I'm writing about, um, you know, what what's the new restaurant that's coming up, Who are the key people in the industry? What are the trends that are happening? Any controversies in the food scene? Part of my job does involve some aspect of being a critic. Uh, For example, with the 100 Very Best Restaurants, me and a team of three other writers, we uh, visit over 300 restaurants and whittle it down to... 100, and, um, and then rank them all.
0: So does that mean that you're making reservations under false names and sneaking in with a cap and sunglasses? So <laughs> like a special phone number you have to use when you're making your reservations?
1: So I am not anonymous. Uh, our lead critic, Ann Limpert, she is anonymous. So you, know, my, you can find my photo if you Google me. I, I'm not that secretive. But I do try to make reservations in different names just because I don't want people to know I'm coming in advance so I have you know three or four different open table accounts with different names and resi accounts with different names just so you know I'm not giving places a heads up a lot of restaurants when I actually get there you know the chefs or the managers I've met them interviewed them in person so they're going to recognize me just like you would recognize me you know, if we'd met before,
0: well, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that there was so much involved, but it makes total sense. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to get special treatment. You want to, you're a journalist, you want to really know what the best places are and not the places that are going to give you a special treatment because of who you are.
1: Exactly. And when we scout out restaurants for the magazine, the magazine pays our way. So, you know, we're not getting comped meal. We're not, we're trying not to get special treatment.
0: So, can you tell us about the hundred? Best, or I, think it's, I believe it's called the 100 very best restaurants. Very
1: best, <laughs> yes. Uh, so like I was saying, you know, we start with this uh, master list of more than 300 restaurants, places that have been on there before, new spots, um, places that might have new chefs, and we split them up, we eat at all of them. You know, food is always number one thing we look for. Other things, whether it's service, the atmosphere, those come into play as well but overall the main criteria we use is would we want to come back here with our on our own dime is this a place we would recommend to friends and family that we would want to celebrate birthdays or other special occasions and if the answer is yes we put them on the list and yeah so basically we get together in a room we fight back and forth about how we're going to rank them there's a lot of argument about the ranking but Every single place on that list is a place that I would be super happy to send someone to.
0: So that's really interesting because when I look at the list as someone who doesn't eat out that often, (laughs) I feel really overwhelmed. There's (laughs) so many. I mean, you start with 300, you whittle it down to 100, and every single one of those 100 is worth visiting. So when someone's visiting D.C., I mean, they might only be here for three days, five days, maybe a week if it's a big trip. And so what would your advice be for navigating that list if you want to make sure you don't have a bad meal, but you also want, you know, to, to go to as many places as you can, you're not going to get to all of the ones on the list. So how should they sort of approach it?
1: Right. Well, I'll tell you how about a few of my favorites. One would be a place called The Dabney, and it's in a neighborhood called Shaw, and they're serving mid what they call mid-Atlantic cuisine. Uh, which a lot of people say, what, what the heck is mid-Atlantic cuisine? That's not a real cuisine. And the chef there, Jeremiah Langhorn, is trying to kind of forge this new identity for this region and its foods by looking back at um, historical recipes from the area. And also, you know, he does a lot of foraging, working with local farmers to find ingredients that are native to this area that maybe aren't as well-known. And showcase them on his menu. So you really do get a unique taste of what this region is all about. And they have a wood-fired hearth. And it's, um, you know, it has a Michelin star. It's just super high level, but also very homey and comfortable and welcoming. Not too pretentious or anything like that. It is, it can be a little hard to get into sometimes. You probably need a reservation in advance. Sometimes if you go right away when it opens at, I forget, 5 or 5.30, you can get a seat. I would also say, you know, if you come to the city and you didn't make any reservations, there's still lots of restaurants for you. Another one of my favorites is a place called Bad Saint. And I've heard it, a
0: lot about this, so and I yes. haven't been, so can you tell me what all the hype is about?
1: So it is a Filipino restaurant, kind of a modern Filipino restaurant and has received all kinds of accolades since it opened. Just a hole in the wall almost. So tiny you might just walk right by it. It's in the Columbia Heights neighborhood. It's so popular that people actually line up outside in the hour or so before it opens uh, just to get a spot because it's a very limited seating. You know, they don't have any, I think they have It's mostly, you know, a a better place to go if you're just two people. I think they only have two tables that can accommodate up to four people. But really, you know, funky, spicy, you know, sour flavors, a little bit different. Something that's kind of unique, not your typical like steakhouse, but if you're maybe a more adventurous eater. It's a really fun place. The caveat being, you may have to wait in line, so get there early. And then, I guess the third thing I would say about dining in Washington, if you want something that's unique to this area, we have a very large Ethiopian population. So, there are a lot of Ethiopian restaurants all over, and many great ones. Honestly, it's hard to go wrong, but you know, if you don't have Ethiopian food in your hometown... That's definitely something you want to check out. It's a lot of fun. Get to eat with your hands.
0: That I, that I definitely can say I have done. Love eating Ethiopian food, and I've never been to an Ethiopian restaurant in D.C. that I didn't walk out satisfied. Yes. So it doesn't matter which one you pick. Just pick <laughs> any of them. I, I usually send people to Dukeham just because it's easy to get to from the metro and it's, it's big and can accommodate most families. Uh, but any of them certainly will do. But I want to go back to something that you mentioned kind of in passing, which was the Michelin star. So yes. you said Dabney has one or at least one. And so can you explain what the Michelin star is and why do chefs care about it?
1: Right. So if you're interested in restaurants, you've probably heard of the Michelin guy, the Little Red Book, it, you know, has a very prestigious reputation around the world for highlighting the very best restaurants. You have these kind of globe-trotting foodies who will plan entire trips based on restaurants that have the highest rating of three stars. And Michelin Guide expanded to the D.C. area in 2016. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a fan of the Michelin Guide. <laughs> so tell us why. What What is it about the Guide that strikes you the wrong way? So I think – Basically the way they work is they have a group of anonymous inspectors who go to all these restaurants. And when I say anonymous, they you know, we don't know how many there are, what their backgrounds are, their names, we don't know anything about them. And so the process is very opaque. It's hard to know whether you should trust them or these people who, you know, at least with you know, local critics You can follow them. You know what their tastes are. You know who they are. You can decide for yourself whether you agree or disagree with them um, based on their track records in the past. Michelin Guide, you know, I think a lot of them are, they're not from D.C. They maybe don't know the scene as well. You know, they do highlight some good D.C. restaurants. I'm not going to say that all of their uh, stars go to terrible restaurants. That's not true. That's a lot of great ones. But Oh, there's a lot of head scratchers in there sometimes, and I would, I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but I would recommend looking for, you know, your local regional magazine or a newspaper like the Washington Post if you're going to try to find restaurant recommendations rather than the Michelin Guide.
0: Okay, that's really good to know because I have been sending people to the Michelin Guide for the last few years. (laughs) I should probably rethink my strategy. One thing I've noticed about it as an observer who has been to only one of the restaurants in the Guide, Rose's Luxury, I've noticed that they don't change very much year to year. And so I do wonder about that a little bit.
1: Right. And that's one of the questions about the Michelin Guide is how often are they actually revisiting all of the restaurants or new restaurants i assume they at least revisit the ones that they award stars to but i don't even the actual text that appears in the guide um year to year they don't change it to reflect whatever menu changes may have or other developments may have happened with the restaurant so it feels very stale.
0: That's interesting. I think there was a big article in The, the New Yorker or one of those uh, from a few years ago where one of the alleged critics was sort of writing anonymously the article. And it, there was some interesting things said in there. I think she was working in France, so it wasn't mm. even in the U.S. But I may have to go back and revisit that and maybe put that in the show <laughs> notes if I can find the article. But uh, I want to ask you about neighborhoods. You've already mentioned a few neighborhoods, mm. Shaw, Columbia Heights. Are there dining neighborhoods in D.C., at least in 2019? People ask me all the time about Georgetown, which I feel like is maybe a little outdated. And so what are our current dining neighborhoods and how do they change, you know, and how frequently do they change?
1: Right. Uh, Yeah. So everyone knows about Georgetown. Pro tip for you, Georgetown is one of the least exciting dining neighborhoods in D.C., it's fun to walk around. It's fun to shop, check out the waterfront, do all that great stuff. But if you're really into food, there's a couple great restaurants. That's not where I would send you. Right now, some of the hotter dining neighborhoods would be Shaw, which is just north of downtown. Very easy to get to if you're staying, you know, somewhere around the White House or the mall.
0: Yeah, very short ride or even walkable in, in exactly, some
1: places. Exactly, exactly, and that's kind of where a lot of the up and coming chefs and and bar owners are opening up their new concepts. And you'll just you'll find a lot of you'll find everything: wine bars, beer gardens, you know, Laotian restaurant, you know, French restaurant, but but places with a little bit more personality that are a little bit more fun. Another uh, neighborhood that also has a lot of great kind of cheaper dining and maybe a little bit more nightlife is H Street Northeast, kind of up-and-coming. You know, there's not as much to do during the day there, but if you go at night and you want to bar hop, that's that's kind of a fun place to go. And then lastly, I think what has become kind of a big tourist attraction, but also with locals, is the Wharf, uh, which is the new waterfront of D.C., And uh, it's this big, shiny, expensive development. Lots of restaurants and shops and all of that. Beautiful waterfront views. A nice boardwalk. Very clean. And what is nice... I mean, some of the places are a little bit more on the expensive end. What is nice about the neighborhood is that the developers did try to bring in local talent to run... The restaurants. So, you're not going to find a lot of big chains that you can find somewhere else. You're going to find some of DC's best known chefs, you know, maybe doing their second or third restaurant over there.
0: Yeah, I think the restaurant that most people talk about over there is Del Mar, uh, Italian right. restaurant.
1: Spanish, uh, actually. Oh,
0: sorry about that. Spanish. <laughs> and my favorite falafel is over at the, the wharf. So, that is where oh, I. Oh, which, which falafel is that? It's uh, Falafel Inc., the one that started in Georgetown, and they have locations now okay and, uh, yes that is where I most frequently find myself if I'm not eating some sort of seafood over at right. the, the seafood portion of the wharf which is historic and definitely worth a visit right uh, on its own
1: and Del Mar is very very expensive <laughs> which I should warn but ex- extremely good if you're looking for seafood a little bit on the cheaper end of things there's Hank's Oyster Bar which Uh, is kind of a local institution has other locations in the area but is a lot of fun and then another place on the wharf for seafood is um, Rappahannock Oyster Bar. If you're craving oysters you gotta go there and they have a bunch of other great dishes. They have a great crab cake, one of my favorite crab cakes.
0: Oysters are my favorite, one of my favorite. <laughs> I, and I always go, I try to seek out the happy hour oysters, half price, or yes. whenever there are yes. specials, you can Absolutely. usually find these on weekdays more than on weekends. But I always try to take advantage of those because oysters are delicious, but they're not especially cheap uh, or filling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but that brings us to an interesting uh, discussion, which is about sort of the local flavor the local foods here you know if you go to New York you get a dollar slice of pizza and a bagel and a pretzel and if you go to Philly you get a Mm cheesesteak. and people come here and they say okay what is it what do I have to eat and that's a tough one to answer so do you have an answer to that question?
1: It is tough to answer I think because the dining scene here is a little bit newer in a lot of ways doesn't have that long tradition of food necessarily we don't have that staple like clam chowder in Boston or the cheesesteak, um, probably the one people cite the most often is the half-smoke, which is made famous by Ben's Chili Bowl, which is on U Street, and that's, you know, Obama ate there, and that's a local institution because of it's kind of a known thing. A lot of chefs have riffed off it and done their own um, half-smoke. I think what is so great about this region or this city is that we have a little bit of everything. It's a very international city. We have immigrants from all over. We've got, you know, all the embassies here. Do we have one staple food? No, but we have an enormous diversity of food, whether it's Korean, um, uh, Ethiopian, uh, Vietnamese, whatever it is, you can find it all
0: that's usually what I say as well. And usually when people ask, well, I heard about this half-smoke, should I try that? I say, you could, you could try it, but I really think you should go eat at an Ethiopian restaurant instead because D.C. has a bigger Ethiopian and Eritrean population than, I think, a population density than any other city. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're not the same, by the way. I learned that from Marcus Samuelson's uh, documentary on public TV that there are distinctions and you know, it's worth trying one of each if you have the opportunity. Right. So for folks who aren't going to go to Del Mar and aren't going to go to the Michelin Star places, they're looking for a little bit more affordable options. One of the things that stands out to me about D.C. is that we have a ton of, I guess what we're calling fast casual restaurants, yes. to distinguish them from your standard fast food restaurants of you know previous decades. So right. can you explain what fast casual is and what some of your favorites in this category are?
1: Right. So I, I think of fast casual is a term for... Like, slightly nicer fast food. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's from a more local chain as opposed to a big national corporation like McDonald's. Probably the one that's the most famous here is Sweetgreen, which has now gone national. But it started here in D.C. in Georgetown from three Georgetown University students uh, if you don't know them, they serve salad, <laughs> which is all the rage. But they have a lot of really delicious seasonal combinations. So if you're trying to eat healthy, check out Sweet Green. Personally, two of my – oh, I have so many favorites. Cava would be another favorite if you're looking for more Mediterranean. There's a place that, called Little Sesame that serves hummus bowls. Again, super fresh ingredients. You know, they change the toppings, seasonal. You can also get hummus wraps with various ingredients. And it's, it's a very fun place, you know, uh, very Instagram-friendly, decorated in millennial pink, all, all this stuff. <laughs> and, um, and But then I would say most of all the place I would recommend uh, is a place called Chico. Chaiko being short for Chinese and Korean. And it comes from two really well-known chefs here in D.C., one who used to run a fine dining Chinese restaurant and another who runs a popular Korean restaurant. So they bring a really high caliber of food and, you know, homemade noodles and things like that. They do it in a really casual way. So you still order at the counter. You get your food on a metal tray. But uh, the quality is something that you would get at a, a nicer sit-down restaurant.
0: So what the reason we say casual is because you're not having a server come around, take your order, some runners bring you your food, you're ordering it at the counter, paying at the cash register, and then they give it to you and you sit and eat it that way. Exactly. So another place that you can go for more affordable food are food halls, which I feel like are Pretty new. I can't even remember when Union Market opened now. It's been a few years, but that's the best known one in DC. So Mm -hmm. what what's going on with this trend? Are food halls the next top thing?
1: They are. They're everywhere. Union Market, as you mentioned, that would be one of my top destinations if you want to go a little bit off the beaten track, but still somewhere that's relatively easy to get to. It's so great because they have I I forget how many vendors they have, maybe like twenty different vendors. They have an oyster bar they have sandwiches they have cheesesteaks they have indian food barbecue everything and it's all in one place so you you can go with a group of people and get different things and have a perfectly awesome time and uh and that was that was just the beginning now it seems like there are food halls popping up all over the place in the suburbs in the city i think i counted the other day that there are at least six more food halls that are going to open just this year alone in the area. And then even more next year. And actually I want to, to um, get excited about probably opening in the fall of 2019 is, I'm going to mispronounce it. <laughs> it's a Latin food hall. It's called like La Coseca, La cosecha Okay. And it's near Union Market. And uh, they're going to have a bunch of, of restaurants and more casual places, but all focusing on Latin, South American cuisine. Um, it'll be, I think, a market component, too. So you can you could hit two food halls in one day.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, the great thing is that you have all these options. So it's, it's kind of like a food court, except at a food court... Like Union Station, it's mostly Chick Fil A and Chipotle and your standard national chains. Whereas this is mostly local places, a little bit higher end. My favorite place in Union Market is Taquerian, uh Oh yes, which I've I've heard actually an interview with the owner. He said he really likes food halls because they're you know cheaper to uh, start up, you know the rents lower, lower risk, and so I can see a lot of chefs wanting to go this route because it's a better business model for them. So. Kind of place where you can find some up-and-coming folks.
1: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of them, you may they might go on to open their own standalone restaurants. And that's kind of their way in the door a lot of times. So you get to try, you know, some new, more experimental types of food sometimes.
0: So another uh, place where people might get started is with the food truck. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, it seemed like these were all the rage. And there was like Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. reality
0: shows on TV about food trucks and every day on DCist, there would be an article about where all the good food trucks are. And it feels like this trend is over. Uh, Maybe it's (laughs) it's not over because there's still plenty of trucks, but what happened with the food trucks? And when when my customers come to DC, they're coming out with me on the National Mall and there's plenty of food trucks over there, but to me, they don't look that appetizing. And so- When you're looking for food trucks, what are your tips? Where should you go, and how should you find the good ones?
1: So, yeah, it is kind of a more modern phenomenon in D.C. Um, I think, you know, one of the first food trucks launched uh, with Obama's first inauguration back in 2009, and that was kind of the Wild West. There weren't really a lot of regulations at the time for food trucks, but um, a lot of people would you know, buy a truck as a way to kind of get into this business and start selling food. And, you know, event the, see, the, the scene and the city has matured, and now there are, you know, specific regulations, and there's like a lottery system about where people can park, et cetera. Et cetera. And unfortunately, you know, even though I think today there are probably more food trucks than there have ever been, unfortunately, I do feel like a lot of the creativity has moved away from food trucks, maybe more to food halls my pro tip would be if you want to go to a food truck skip the national mall that's not where the good food trucks of dc go i mean that said if you're on the mall and you like want something to eat there aren't a lot of great options around there so a food truck might be totally fine but a lot of times it's You know, like frozen food, not necessarily really creative kinds of cuisines or anything like that. There are still some really great food trucks. And the best way to find them is uh, just, you know, follow them on Twitter or their websites and find out where they're going to be parked that week. Uh, I'll just mention two of my favorites. One is called Swizzler, and they serve these really cool kind of curly-cued hot dogs with all these gourmet, untraditional toppings. Totally delicious. And they just launched a new truck that just focuses on hamburgers. They only have two burgers, one meat, one veggie. Both so, so good. The second food truck that I really love is called Abunai, and it is a Hawaiian food truck. And so if you want A little bit of Hawaiian comfort food, whether it's some spam musubi or you know some some pork, that would be um, that would be one of my top picks.
0: I think that one uh, trick that people might want to use is to look up an event called Truckeru. Oh yes, which is only once a month. So you're unless you're lucky and happen to be in town when it's here, you might not go, but you can see who's signed up. And then you can maybe follow those trucks on Twitter to see where they're going to be around town when you're visiting because those are the trucks that aren't going to be sort of the ones with the frozen food. They're going to only get the ones that have the good stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think the National Mall trucks, unfortunately, they suffer from the same business incentives and disincentives as any other business on the National Mall, which is that none of the customers are going to be repeat customers. And so it's all who can be the most convenient, and it doesn't matter if the quality is is all that great. So I totally agree with your assessment of the food trucks on Mm -hmm. that one. But sometimes if you're really hungry and you're on the mall, it's just kind of there and it's easy. Exactly. So another question that uh, I get asked sometimes is about Chinatown. Mm. We have a neighborhood called Chinatown and it is a neighborhood with a lot of history. But from my assessment, you can't really get Great Chinese food in Chinatown, uh, or maybe there are only a few hidden gems that yeah. you know about and I don't. So,
1: unfortunately, our Chinatown is mostly a Chinatown in name at this point. You know, that it's become a very expensive neighborhood, and so a lot of chains and other restaurants have moved in. There are actually very few Chinese restaurants, and In my personal opinion, none of them are particularly remarkable. That said, there are some great restaurants in Chinatown. They're just not necessarily Chinese. My favorite being a ramen place called Daikaya, which is always very popular. You might have to wait there too, but they make the most delicious ramen. And I'm not talking about like the packet stuff you had in in college. <laughs> you know, they import their noodles from Japan and they make um, this beautiful like porky broth. And it's a really fun place. It's pretty quick. Great. If you had a late night also.
0: <laughs> and on my episode uh, about, DC with kids we talked about ramen being a great place to bring kids because it's noodles and kids love noodles.
1: Exactly. Yeah. If you've
0: only eaten ramen from those packets in college, you should definitely come here when you come to DC or any ramen restaurant for that matter because mm-hmm. it is an experience very different from the one you might remember. Right.
1: Now if you do want good Chinese food, authentic Chinese food, I would send you to Rockville, which is outside of the city, Maryland suburb. You're going to need a car. But there are some great places out there uh, that tends to be where, you know, there's a, a bigger Chinese immigrant population. So that's where you'll find some of the better restaurants. So if you have some time, if you want to get outside of the district, then that can be a fun place to go.
0: Yeah, I think the reality is if you want Chinese, if you want Vietnamese, you want Korean, it's going to be in the suburbs. It's not going to be in the city. Uh, Tyler Cowan is a. An economist in Virginia, and he writes all about this stuff about how the good stuff is out there because that's where the rent is cheap. And exactly. where, where the rent is high, the food's either going to be really expensive or it's not going to be good. So those are just sort of the unfortunate economic incentives that face restaurant right. owners.
1: I mean, not that you can't find, I mean, there are a lot of great restaurants in the district and, you know, and affordable places as well. You know, still, there are a lot of great restaurants in the suburbs and they are. The truth is they are a little bit trickier to get to if you're a visitor.
0: Yeah, so they might not be the kind of place you come if you're only here for a weekend. But if you're here for a whole week or, you know, a little bit longer and get the rental car uh, and maybe make a little day trip of it, just uh, do a food day, go around to the different
1: parts of
0: the suburbs and check them out. Well, I want to ask you about a specific restaurant because (laughs) – This restaurant has a bunch of interesting distinctions. It was the first restaurant in D.C. that earned 10,000 reviews on Yelp. I believe (laughs) it still has the most reviews on Yelp. It is also one of the only restaurants that Tom Sietzma Sietzma, uh, in his 30-plus year career has awarded zero stars. Okay, so we're talking about Founding Farmers, which lots of people listening to this podcast have probably heard of because maybe their cousin who lives near D.C. told them to go to Founding Farmers. So what is so polarizing about this place? And (laughs) I'm sure you've eaten there in your quest to find the 100 very best restaurants. So what's your take on it? Right.
1: So Founding Farm, there are actually a number of um, spinoffs of Founding Farmers, but the original one is um, sort of close to the White House. It's also on Pennsylvania Avenue. It's on Pennsylvania Avenue, yeah. And uh, it's kind of a, you know, a something for everyone type of restaurant. They have a, a massive menu, a lot of, a lot of comfort foods, but also, you know, a, a really wide range, really anything you want. I hate to compare it to like an Applebee's or something or like a cheesesteak <laughs> cheese factory because it is, I think they try to be, you know, more elevated, use fresher ingredients, uh, you know, not like frozen stuff on like some big national chains. So you got to give them some credit for that. You know, it has its place. It's, I think, the most booked restaurant in the entire country on OpenTable for at least a few years running. So very popular.
0: My impression of Founding Farmers is that it's the kind of place where tourists will go and they'll think, wow, this is the great locals place. This is where everybody goes (laughs) after work to hang out, when in reality, most of the people in there are probably not locals anyway. (laughs) And so from a marketing perspective, they've like really nailed that Mm -hmm. to the point where they have the most bookings on open table. So that's pretty amazing to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, not to say that no, I know plenty of locals who go there and like it perfectly fine. I mean, the way I feel about it is it's perfectly fine. It's not somewhere I would send visitors to um, because I don't think it really shows off what D.C. is about. And I don't think it's the highest caliber of food. I can see if you had kids and, you know, you just need something easy and you're in that neighborhood that'd be a perfectly fine place to go. I think Tom Sitsuma probably hates it a little bit more than me, having given it zero stars and a very, very scathing review. But, you know, if you want local flavor, branch out a little bit. That's not necessarily where I would send you. So
0: the moment of truth is, is this in the top 100? It's not. Okay, it is not. So I think that that's all you really need to know (laughs) from the conversation with Jessica Sidman here today. I want to get to something that I just invented for this episode of the podcast, and this is going to be the lightning round of questions with Jessica Sidman, and this is going to be pretty simple. I'm going to ask you a scenario, and you will tell me the restaurant, uh, or restaurants, I suppose, if there's a tie, that you would go to in this scenario. Okay. So the first one is, where would you pick to eat if you only had $10 to spend?
1: So I would go to Union Market, which is the food hall we mentioned earlier, and I would get a uh, bagel with lox and cream cheese from Neopole Smokery. They smoke their own fish, and it is delicious. Super simple. Definitely less than $10. And every time I go there, that's one of the first things I want.
0: That's making me hungry just thinking about it. Where would you go if you only had $5 to
1: spend? Okay, so I have a little bit of a sweet tooth. There is a place, a little sidewalk stand called Bon Matcha. And they serve all sorts of matcha drinks, but they also have matcha soft serve ice cream. And it is so good. (laughs) The most refreshing thing on a hot day, actually very close to Founding Farmer's, Um, so skip Founding Farmers. Just get some soft serve ice cream. (laughs) Uh, so I, I would, that's what, that would be my pick, yeah.
0: Okay, I haven't been there, but I'm going to go now, perhaps after we're finished recording this episode. Yes. Where would you go if you had your boss's credit card and you didn't plan on showing back up to work on Monday morning?
1: Okay, well, this is like a little bit of a trick question because I usually have my boss's credit card when I eat out (laughs) working at this magazine. Um, or not, well, you know what I mean. (laughs) But, um... I would say, you know, I, I love sushi and my favorite sushi place is called Sushi Taro, which is kind of um in the DuPont Circle neighborhood. Also has a Michelin star, but is not it's not necessarily too fancy. You can go during the week for lunch and get a bento box for, you know, less than fifteen dollars. Or you can go, uh, you know, and have a fancy omakase meal for a couple hundred. They also have a great, great happy hour. Maybe the best happy hour. If you go between 5 and 6, the bar only, they have all their sushi half off. Uh, That said, the bar is very small and it's a very limited time, so... People will actually line up like a half an hour before five to just go to this happy hour because it's such a good deal. And they get, you know, a lot of unique kind of fish that you don't get at a lot of other sushi restaurants in D.C. or elsewhere.
0: So that happy hour sounds like the perfect opportunity for a solo traveler. Maybe not for a big group. Yes, it's
1: a great place. I go there all the time by myself.
0: Okay, where would you go if you're with a family, if your family or you're in a group where nobody can agree on anything?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if on one side of the spectrum you have founding farmers, on the other side of the spectrum I would put a place called Unconventional Diner, which is right near the Convention Center in DC, kind of the Shaw neighborhood. Again, it's it so I think the name kind of says it all. It's you know, whatever you think of a diner Kind of get that out of your mind. It's an unconventional diner. They have a wide range of things. Nicer comfort foods, a little bit healthier. And it's a place where I know I can send literally anyone and they're going to find something they like no matter how picky they are.
0: Where would you go if you want to eat something unique that you cannot find in any other city?
1: I would say... One of my another favorite is a place called Little Saro, and this is another restaurant that sometimes requires you to wait in line. I'm sorry for all you people who I'm who I'm <laughs> saying you should wait in line. It is a northeastern Thai restaurant, and it is I think I think right now that it's priced at forty nine dollars a person, seven courses, family style. So it sounds like kind of a lot, fifty bucks, but uh, it's a lot of food and um, it's super interesting it's spicy, it's funky it's sour the one warning I would give is they don't do substitutions so if you can't eat pork or nuts or something I'm sorry but that's not the place for you but if you like again more adventurous food and want something really special that is a really special place and the couple that own it also run uh, a fine dining restaurant that's considered one of the best in D.C. upstairs. It's called Comey. So this is kind of a more affordable way uh, to try their cooking. Totally different. The fine dining restaurant is Greek. This is Thai. But I, I just love it.
0: I have been there. This is one of the few places I have been. Okay. I, would, I would go there once a week if I could. <laughs> uh, but you said it's spicy, and that's no joke. And so spicy. that means if you have someone in your group who can't handle it, they're going to have a really bad time, and you should go without them. Not to say you shouldn't go. You should just go without them because yeah. it's worth going if you're into it. Uh, but if you do have a picky eater, kind of maybe That's not send the them. place.
1: Send them to Unconventional Diner.
0: Sure. Okay, so where would you go if you want a meal that you will never forget, that you will be talking about until the day you die?
1: I'm actually going to pick a bar for this. Interesting. I'm going to pick Bar Mini. So probably one of the more famous high-end restaurants in D.C. is a place called Mini Bar from Jose Andres, who's become, you know, world-renowned celebrity, chef, humanitarian. Um, mini Bar, which is a tasting mini restaurant, very expensive. Almost $300 a person. But they have a bar that's attached that's called Bar Mini, where they serve cocktails. No tasting menu. You can just, you know, go there. Uh, really exciting, avant-garde, well-executed cocktails. Uh, the kind of stuff that, you know, you won't find just anywhere. I think it's one of the top cocktail bars in the entire country. And they do have some food, which is also, you know, more kind of like snacky food, but the food is just as fun, avant-garde, delicious. Uh, That's a place where I love to take visitors from out of town because they're always, you know, whether they're from New York, L.A., they're always super impressed by it, no matter how many cool cocktail bars they go to in their own city.
0: Okay, that says a lot because if you have ever met a New Yorker, you know that they're hard (laughs) to impress. So if you're taking your New York friends there, I trust that it's uh, one you're not going to forget. So the next one, where would you eat if you only have 15 minutes to get in and out?
1: Uh, I'm going to go back to a restaurant I previously suggested, which was Chaiko, the Chinese-Korean fast casual restaurant. Uh, You can get in and out pretty fast. I mean, 15 minutes is pretty short, though. Yeah, I don't know. I made this one tough on purpose. <laughs> Chico's near the capital, right?
0: About a mile east of the capital. So it's right, and they know. have it.
1: They have second location in Dupont oh, now. Oh, okay. um, But it's just it's so good, and I mean, I would give yourself more than 15 minutes, but it's still fast, you know.
0: Sometimes you're just you got your <laughs> capital tour, and you got to get over there quick.
1: So. Okay,
0: where would you go if you have vegans in your group?
1: So, I would suggest a restaurant called Fancy Radish on H Street, uh, which is a neighborhood I mentioned earlier being, you know, a little bit more of a nightlife uh, dining destination. Actually, I'm not 100% sure if it's all vegetarian or all vegan. Um, Probably should have double-checked that. But, you know, either way, there's a lot of vegan options um, if it's not exclusively vegan and, um, you know, not just... salads (laughs) salads <laughs> or you know you, you can also bring someone who eats meat and they will be they will go there and they'll be very satisfied and totally happy that they came along too
0: what about if you're traveling with small kids
1: all right i'm just gonna keep repeating some of the recommendations i already gave when they're good they're good <laughs> but uh, again i feel like unconventional diner is a good place just because it's a little you know it's casual but It's a place where the adults can feel like adults, but the kids can be kids, and there's a little something for everyone.
0: Okay, and the last one's a little out of left field, but where would you go if you want your best chance of sitting next to a politician?
1: Well, my first question would be, what kind of politician do you want to sit next to? Are you okay sitting next to a Trump official? Because in that case, I would send you to the Trump Hotel, which is where you're most likely to spot one. Um, I thought you were going to say that. But (laughs) Um, otherwise, another place is Cafe Milano, which is just you know has a long history as a quote unquote DC power spot. Uh, It's an Italian restaurant. The food, if I'm going to be totally honest, is not that great. Uh, The reason you go is to see and be seen and rub shoulders with, you know, Washington's elite, whatever that means. And this is in Georgetown, right? (laughs) This is in Georgetown. So we had already talked about how Georgetown's (laughs) not
0: the best restaurant neighborhood, and here's a great example of a place where people are going, but
1: But yeah, so um, maybe not for the food. You know, many presidents have dined there. Trump has not. He's he has not eaten anywhere except for the steakhouse in his own hotel. It's the kind of place where, you know, Congressmen, lobbyists—you know, any administration official, cabinet secretary—chances are they've they've been there.
0: Yeah, I feel like when I read one of your articles talking about something that happened. It's, there's a good is chance a, it's it going to mention that.
1: Cafe Milano yeah
0: <laughs> so in any case that's not a place I'm putting on my list but if that <laughs> is really on your bucket list that is where Jessica will send you so well Jessica I want to thank you so much for spending time and coming onto the podcast and not only giving all of the uh, visitors to Washington D.C. great ideas for places to eat but personally for giving me all these great ideas for places to eat because I feel like I haven't been to 90% of the places that you talked up and I need to go
1: <laughs> I hope you'll check them out everyone will check them out <laughs>
0: So when people want to find you, they should read The Washingtonian Magazine. And uh, is there any other way that they can follow along with you?
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Jay Sidman. Uh, also, same same on Instagram. I post photos of all the places I've eaten. So if you want to just get an idea where a food editor in D.C. eats, uh, you know, I, I, I only post pics of the the good places. So that's a good guide. And also I would just say, You know, pick up a copy of Washingtonian, of course, shameless plug. We have a great issue coming out in August of 2019, where to eat great cheap. A lot of people think Washington, well, Washington can be a very expensive place to eat, but there are a lot of very affordable places, too, and we're going to be highlighting uh, some of the newer places where you can get a really good value. Also, just on our website, the 100 very best restaurants are always online. It's kind of an evergreen thing. Uh, Just go on there. There's a little something for everyone. It's not all super high-end. We have more casual places on there, too. And, again, any place on that list, I would send my own mother, my best friend, to happily.
0: And I think that by the time most people listen to this, the Cheap Eats issue is going to be out, so I'll make sure that there's a link included in the show notes so people can go on the Washingtonian website, find the list, and then check out the places. And I am gonna also double plug the follow you on Instagram because I'm not gonna be able to give you I can post lots of photos <laughs> of monuments and memorials, but not food, but you can. So follow Trip Hacks DC and follow Jessica Sidney. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.